first investment. There's nobody in our family that's ever done this. This is out of state. Like, quote unquote, it was still risky. And, um, you know, that first year, I don't know, we probably made like 20 grand. We go to launch our property and thinking we're ready. This is going to like, let's do it. In the first month, the whole bottom floor floods, toilet clogs, messes up the whole floor. We have to replace, you know, the, the bottom area. And the, so it was gnarly. And um, this happened over a weekend. I was stressed. I didn't even want to tell Amy about it. Amy's my wife's name. I was like, freak, I got to tell her about it. And then we didn't want to tell our parents about it because, of course, everybody already told us, don't do it. This is going to be crazy risky. Like, why would you do this? So, yeah, we scrambled. Um, and that's when we're having our first hiccups with our property management company. So there's problems happen. We just like communicated with our property manager, contacted plumbers and just like resolved the situation. And we were just hoping and praying like the damage wasn't going to be insane. So it did only cost $1,000. Why do I say only? Because the next month we made $2,000. Okay, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, I got a guy that's really inspirational. Uh, I met him through Instagram, believe it or not. But I heard his story and I thought, he would be really inspiration to bring onto the podcast so that he can share a story because he's investing out of state all the way across the United States. <laughs> and so for all of you out there that are petrified about not investing locally because you can't drive over to your property right away. Yeah. Let's listen to Fernando's story and let's see if he can change your mind a little bit. So Fernando, welcome to the show, man. Yeah. What's up, dude? Ken, what's up, dude? Your energy in regular phone calls is the same on here. So that's a good <laughs> that's a good thing for everybody else. Like the Kent you're getting is the Kent you would get anywhere in life. <laughs> Thanks for that validation, man. I mean, <laughs> hey, let's just get people to know you a little bit better, man. What is your background? How'd you even get yeah. started in real estate investing, man? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, dude. I feel like um, really quick, I want to hook somebody because I want to let you guys know when my wife and I spent nine months getting our first property and everybody told us like it was super risky, you shouldn't do it. Um, we just kept forging through when we launched our first property, the bottom floor flooded and we had, a, we had to spend already thousands of dollars in repairs. So I'm just going to hook, I'm just going to hook people with that. And then I'm going to go ahead and give my background. So just, just wait and I'll explain as to what happened so that nobody else makes these mistakes that we made. Right. And they're, they're listening here. So they're going to be able to make sure that they don't make these mistakes. Um, okay, cool. So background. Um, <clears throat> graduated. Well, actually, my parents are immigrants from Mexico. And uh, luckily, they, they came here a little earlier when they were like 10, 11, 12 years old. And so from there, my dad <clears throat> and my mom were still able to like learn English pretty well, get an education um, and kind of like buy property when it was 300 grand in California. So they, they got in really early. Good old days. All um, right. Yeah. So they have, they don't, they don't have like an investment portfolio, but it's, that's kind of like been my upbringing, which has been really cool. And that allowed me to get a mechanical engineering degree. And when I got my mechanical engineering degree, more people I'm sure are going to be listening to this and think like, must've been doing pretty well. And it's like, yeah, okay. Like making a hundred grand a year is doing pretty well. Unfortunately, uh, when you when you didn't have a concept of money, right? You get out of college, 
thinking $100,000 a year is a lot of money. And then you, you go and, and find out like what a house costs and what interest rates are and what taxes are and what monthly rent is. And you add all that stuff up and then you think about, okay, maybe I'm saving now a thousand bucks a month. Like that's still good. But then a thousand bucks a month is only $12,000 a year. And so then it's like, well, how much do you need to save for a house? So all that to say, um, you know, fast forward a little bit. I quit my job, quit my W-2, left engineering, pursued entrepreneurship because um, I needed to find a different way. That was really it. The thought in my head was like, there has to be another way. Like, I can't be the only person who's thinking there has to be another way. Like I was. And so uh, I broke out, you know, got out of, the, of this matrix and um, I think I mentioned to you yesterday that I left a six-figure job and then in six months of me being, you know, an, an entrepreneur or a wannapreneur, I made $300 and I was struggling mm. and I was struggling. And so that's how we ended up, uh, ended up finding my wife. Um, you know, obviously we're boyfriend, girlfriend, and she had money and I was like, Ooh, She's got some money. <laughs> so because I was broke, quit my job. I was in credit card debt, but I was scrappy. I was hungry and I was scrappy and I had ideas, right? You'll probably hear this a lot about like maybe people like I just have, I have these ideas and I know if I do it, like it'll be great. And so she was trying to find a property in California. But like I said before, um, she had saved up like 65 grand. She was trying to compete with a lot of people in California um, with cash investors or just regular people buying. And she she wasn't getting a property and she was trying to buy as an investment. But the numbers weren't making sense I, in my head. I was like, I know you're trying to do this, but like the numbers just aren't adding up. Like it's not good return uh, for what for the down payment that she had access to. And so, again, my, me as my ideas, I was like, there has to be another way. And so I kind of like whispered and it's not my money, right? It was my wife's money. And I kind of whispered in her ear, like, have you considered looking at a state? And she was, <laughs> she was at a point now where she is like, at this point, I'm open to anything. So that was the, that was the start where um, it wasn't even me that took the first jump. Like it was, it was my wife and her money because we were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. We weren't even married. And I said, hey, what do you think about going out of state? And she was like, well, let's look into it. And I, in my head, I was like, whoa. Like she must, she must really love me. And so obviously now we're married, but she was, she trusted me. She, she got with a guy who didn't have a job. I was still living with my parents. Right. And now I come, I come to her with this crazy idea. Like, you know what you should do with your money you should go and invest that state. Um, so I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> I told you guys, this guy was going to be inspirational and charming. Cause if not, <laughs> you would not have been able to woo your wife and convince her to invest in real estate. Um, Wow, yeah. dude, what a what a great start to your relationship, uh, dude. It, it, was, it was cool. It was really good. So I I think I I really appreciate that you brought up like, hey, after I quit my job, I only made like three hundred bucks for like six months. And I think for people that are trying to take this leap, it's almost like a little reality check. Like, hey, when you quit, like there is a serious drop in income yeah. and and that's okay that's also normal thank you for normalizing that because i think a lot of people when they quit the job they're like all right i'm gonna do this full time but then they under 
sometimes they miss like how much ramp up time there is for this stuff to really kind of take off. So really, yeah. really cool. So you convince your wife to invest out of state. How I know you guys are investing in pad splits right now. Maybe let's go into that. Like how'd you yeah. pick your, your market and why'd you decide on the pad split strategy? Yeah. So kick jumping off there. She said, okay, let's do it. And I said, I got one friend who has helped people invest out of state and his name was Andy. Um, and I was like, let's go talk to him. So we talked to him. He told us about Atlanta. We seriously did research on Atlanta and it was like, you know, prices out there at the time were $150,000 for 2000 square foot home. I was like, what? This is crazy. And so that's what started to pique our interest. We ended up paying other people to learn about the people. We started learning about other communities, right? Um, if you're new to watch this, like you have to find a community of people that are aligned with your vision because they're ahead of you and they've already, you know, seen the risk and seen the pitfalls have taken action. So you're just going to get more inspiration from them. And that's what we did. We joined a group, met other mentors, met other people that were doing things like us that were new or that have already done it. And um, we, somebody suggested I mean, we, we were, dude, we were seriously looking for months. How do we make $300 of cash flow? We're looking out of state just because it's a cheaper property doesn't mean you're going to make a thousand bucks a month. Right. Mm -hmm. So we found properties, but we were only making like 300 bucks cash flow and we we're doing our numbers. We're just trying to think like, okay, we, how do we get to like, what's good? That's a good one. People that are, when we were brand new, what is good? What about you, Kent? What do you think is good for if you're brand new? How do you define what good is? Like, what is good cash flow? How would you define that? Man, you're brand new, great question. No experience. Question. What is good? I love that. I have a personal uh, investment criteria with my partners of twenty percent cash and cash return, and if even if it's like a brand new market, we might be willing to lower it a little bit uh, to seventeen and a half percent, right around there. But that's our minimum threshold. But and so what does that mean? Because like that word right there, 20% oh, yeah. cash on cash return. Like I didn't know what that meant. Me and my wife were totally new. And that word intimidated us. Like, well, what does that oh, look like? like that's such a great question. So great question. Great clarifying question. What does that question. mean right there? Yeah. So cash and cash return is assuming, let's use round numbers. If you spent $100,000 to put as your down payment for a home, and that also includes all your renovation costs, all your closing costs, all your out-of-pocket expenses. If to get a 20% cash and cash return, you have to get $20,000 of cash flow a month. I mean, a year. A year. So that right. $20,000, 20% of 100, that's how you get your 20%. And that's cash net return. though, right? That's net cash that's flow. That's net. So Correct. For additional clarity there, that means you have to be probably pulling in like $40,000 in that year because of the 40000 then you have to pay your property manager, your whatever platform expenses, your reserves, your utilities, like whatever it is, right? Maybe it's not as much as 40, but the concept is there. So you have your gross revenue and then you have your net and it's your cash on cash return is based off your net exactly on the initial capital invested. The other way I like to think of it too is not only that, but to make it more tangible, it's like how long will it take for you to recuperate your initial investment? So if you're doing a 20% cash on cash return and you don't like numbers, then you, you 
you just have to say like, okay, well, how many years is it going to take for me to recoup this? And so if it's 20%, it's going to take five years. And so you basically say like, okay, hey, if I know I can get 20% cash on cash, that means I can get my money back in five years. Let's do it. Like that's a, that's a good investment, right? So that's, that's a good point. So you look on, you look at cash on cash return and not cash flow and not dollars. So if you're getting, Kent, let me ask you, if you're getting 20% cash on cash return, but you're making a hundred dollars a month, still worth it? Uh, no, it's ra- uh, rarely so got, would that ever happen, different. right? Rarely. But you got a 20, you got 20% return. Uh, if you do the, you know, so let's talk about that too. Cause I ran into that where, um, you get your cash on cash return because if you do the, you know, if you do certain strategies, you can get a high cash on cash return, but you get very little cash flow. And at the time we were trying to figure out a balance of two. So for me, initially we said $300 was what we wanted in cash flow. But then as we started to hear more people, so people watching this, right? Like this is going to now expand your mind. Like we said, well, who's doing more than 300? And we found people doing a thousand and we're like, well, what are they doing? And we just needed to ask, like, what are they doing to get a thousand? And they were renting by the room. The guy was, he had a, a basement and a top floor and he would chop up his basement into rooms, chop up his top floor into rooms and he would rent them out. This was even before Pat Split was a thing um, in his in his side of the woods. And I was like, dang, that's dope. But he was local. So I was like, well, how do I manage this remotely? Because it would be difficult. Um, I felt like it would be difficult. And then boom, enter Pat Split. Boom, enter pad split. So you had your criteria all laid out. And when you have that criteria laid out, you're like, okay, now I can, it's almost like manifesting. It's like what you put out to the universe is what the universe gives back to you. And I love that you set aside that criteria. And we also talked about not only is it cash and cash return, but it's also the monthly number that makes sense. And just for the viewers out there, everyone has your own personal sort of risk profile, whatever your appetite looks like. For me, that $100, an example that we talked about earlier, isn't enough for me because what if I have one really, really big expense that might cause me, I don't know, a $5,000 repair yeah. and I didn't right. reserve enough? Well, that cost, me, that cost me 50 months of cash yeah. flow. That's brutal. So that's why for me, $100 is not enough because you never know what's going to hit the fan. And even if you are setting aside on a monthly basis to set aside for reserves, you might, not, you might not accrue enough for a big expense right in the beginning. So that's why it's very important for you to decide what your criteria is, just like Fernando did, so you can figure out whether or not a deal is a deal when that deal actually hits you. So right. that's why it's important. And I love, love, love that you had that criteria set up, man. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Um, so... So that's how we landed on about a thousand bucks. And we said, well, let's, let's go figure out ways to do it. Um, and so we, we met people, we got introduced to people in Atlanta and um, there was PadSplit. They introduced us to PadSplit and they told us about this platform that helps us manage rent by the room model. Um, we still needed to add a property manager on top of that. So like our total management expense is 20%, 20% mm. of our monthly revenue that we get, what we collect goes to management. 12% to pad split, 8% to our property manager. And I think of it like, imagine if you had an Airbnb business and you char- you pay like a co-host, you'd probably pay 20%, 30% to your co-host to manage everything for you anyways. 
right? So that's the way I look at it. And we're building a business. Uh, I'm not trying to like make myself self-employed. It's trying to like make it a business. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense, man. So let's, let's take about it in a more logical way. So you decided on a path split. The next question is going to be, well, how do I get money for this? You mentioned you have some money from um, your wife for her down payment, but yeah, let's talk about how do you raise capital? Cause you have more than just one. Now let's give right. some tactical advice to the listeners out there. <laughs> how did you yeah. go about building your reputation, getting people to know, like, and trust you and yeah. investing with you ultimately. Let's 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 talk about that. Well, it's uh, I mean, dude, if you seriously take even the first property, my wife, she was the private money investor, right? Like she was my girlfriend, but I was yeah. like, there's this super cool idea, and, like I'd love to share it with you. And then like I got her on calls, you know, we obviously educated her, so she felt comfortable making the decision, and and it was her name on the loan, right? Like it was her property. I did. I just got lucky I married her, but it was all, it was all her, you know, like, and she was my first private money lender that believed in me. And so from there, we, um, we waited a year cause it was still risky for us at the time. Right. It's like, this is our first property. It's our first investment. There's nobody in our family that's ever done this. This is out of state, like quote unquote, it was still risky. And, um, you know, that first year, I don't know, we probably made like 20 grand and, um, net profit. And we were like, hey, we were like, dude, this is crazy. You know, like, and our total investment was 65,000 all in. So, you know, this was three years ago. Purchase price on the property was 165,000. Needed like 30, 35,000 of work. Uh, we bought with a 15% down investment loan. So all in was like 65 grand, which is exactly what she had access to. Um, we did use 0% credit card to fund the rehab, you know, so that was, that was genius. Cool. Yeah. So that helped us out and we, we made money that first year and we we're okay. Of course, remember at launch, we lost a thousand dollars going back. We go to launch our property and thinking we're ready. This is going to like, let's do it in the first month. The whole bottom floor floods, toilet clogs, messes up the whole floor we have to replace you know the the bottom area and the, it's a, it was gnarly and um this happened over a weekend i was stressed i didn't even want to tell amy about it amy's my wife's name i was like freak i gotta tell her about it and then we didn't want to tell our parents about it because of course everybody already told us don't do it this is going to be crazy risky like why would you do this so yeah we scrambled um and that's when we're having our first hiccups with our property management company. So there's problems happen. And I think that's just one thing I want to say, like you don't, no matter where you invest or no matter what you do, like problems are going to happen. You're going to have problems if you don't invest and you're going to have problems if you do invest. So it's like, you get to pick your problems and like, what are you going to be okay with? You know, that's such a great story. And um, if I were to cover two topics of what you just said there, one, being afraid to tell your family. I remember when I bought my first property out of state, uh, sight unseen, one of my best friend's parents laughed at me. Literally laughed. Like, ha, ha, ha. You, you bought it without looking at a property? Are you crazy? Um, so I completely <laughs> resonate with that because when you're taking these risks, sometimes it's very hard to 
almost educate your closest friends and family about what you're doing because their mindset might not, they, they don't have the investor mindset. And sometimes when I give advice to newer investors, I almost tell them like, Hey, be careful about who you tell about your investment aspirations because what they could bring they you down. They, they, they might accidentally blow out your candle, blow out your smoke. They, you it's, t- it's toxic. Yeah. Cause right. You, your, your human body reacts to fear so easily. So it will continue to reinforce itself. Like, don't do this. Don't do this. Look, my dad is telling me not to do this either. So like, I definitely shouldn't do this. Yeah, so that's you where gotta that be careful. Really about yeah. That's yeah. a good point. Surrounding yourself with other people who have the same vision. It's like, that becomes more of a positive reinforcement. Correct. Well, then the second thing I want to talk to you about is like, okay, yeah. your toilet, I mean, your, your, your floor flooded. That seems yeah. like the end of the world for somebody. How yeah. did you solve it? Because I really want to take that fear <laughs> out of this process because people are like, oh, what if this goes wrong? What if this goes wrong? Well, you kind of pick up the phone and you try to solve the problem. How did you do it? Yeah, How did so you solve I that think, problem? Um, more on a, I don't even know if it's philosophical, but... The, the measure of response to anybody that's watching is, I think, in my opinion, it's dependent upon, like, what's the worst thing that has already happened in your life? Like, if you've had some pretty bad things happen in your life already, then you're probably going to know how to manage that pretty well. Like, if you're new to things not going well and right, well, then, yeah, that could be catastrophic. Luckily for me, I was already, remember I told you, like, I already gone six months not making money, you know, more than that and struggling and so I was already like, I've been on emotional roller coasters up and down. So when that happened, I was like, shoot, all right, what are we going to do? And I just like was immediately able to get into problem solving mode. Um, my wife responded pretty well too, because she, I think she might've seen the way that I was responding. And so she just like fed off of that. So luckily we didn't panic. We just like communicated with our property manager, contacted plumbers and just like resolve the situation. And we were just hoping and praying like the damage wasn't going to be insane. So it did only cost a thousand dollars. Why do I say only? Because the next month we made $2,000. So it was like, all right, this wasn't that bad. And then from then the end of the year, we made $20,000 in profit. So we were chilling, you know, that that, I say only a thousand dollars to your point. If we were only making a hundred bucks a month, that would have been catastrophic. But because we're making a thousand plus, yeah, it's just another month. Man, that is such a great story. Um, so guys, don't worry about a thousand dollar fix. And don't worry about your your I think if you were to able to assign a number, like, oh, what are this first four floods? Okay, you put a number to it, it's a thousand dollars. And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's not this like gripping fear to it's gonna be like hovering over your head anymore it's not like a great cloud it's just like okay right. you write a check and you solve the problem and for you it's like writing a check making a few phone calls and that's pretty much it to oversimplify things so yeah. that's great so you got twenty thousand dollars on your first deal in the first year wild man congratulations yeah. on on that deal what a successful initial venture um it has been, how did yeah. you raise capital then yeah, yeah. So the next couple of deals so the next that's the number one question we get Right. So last year, um, so I took a break from Pat Split and I told my other friends and family about it. So my brother got one. One of my friends got two of them. Like more people started getting them. Right. Because remember, this was at a time where like 65,000 was all the money we had. 
And I didn't have the confidence uh, to raise capital or to partner with people because, you know, we were still also figuring out, like, is this a good investment? Um, and so I started telling other people about it. And so I would just help my family or friends, you know, not charging anything, just help them like, all right, guys, like, this is what I did. This is what you can expect. And then my brother got one and it's like, okay, that's cool. And my friend got one and he liked it. And I was like, all right, that's cool too. And then started getting the confidence. So it was actually, it wasn't until last year, last year, I got three of them. And, and that was from like partnering with other people, raising capital. Um, and that, at that point I now had more confidence. So for sure, there's a level of, of belief that you have to have when you're raising capital in the thing that you're raising capital for. So, you know, if you're, you just have to, yeah, you have to sort of believe that it could work out. And how did I raise capital? Like I've, I've personally been building my brand on YouTube and Instagram for the last year and a half. So in the beginning of my year of 2022, I kind of was like, I'm going to start focusing on my brand because I had, because I believed that a brand is going to be critical to do anything. Like right now I became a loan officer and, and my brands helped me or like I raised capital and my brands helped me. I, whatever I want to do, uh, it's my, my personal reputation, which is the most valuable thing that anybody has. And it's just, you just scale that. Like your personal reputation with your family is probably amazing. Okay, just scale that up to other people outside your family. That's your personal brand. So how did I raise the capital? Um, the first one was we approached my wife's parents <laughs> and they had a HELOC and they were trying to figure out like, what should they do with their HELOC? And so my wife and, and uh, my wife and I sat down with them and we said like, hey guys, like this is our property. This is how it's been performing. We can help, you know, make your money work for you and we'll be partners. And honestly, we, we honestly are probably just going to, we give like all the cash flow to the HELOC to pay them, to pay it back. But the goal is to also just give them all the cash flow. Like, we'll, you know, we'll probably end up with the, with the property, you know, whatever down, down, down. But the goal is to just feed them their thousand dollars plus of cash flow into their retirement to help them out. And that's kind of what we're what we're planning on doing um, right now. We don't touch any of the money. That's the good part. Any of the money that goes from our properties, like we don't need it to survive. So it just like fills up a bank account and it's just like fills, fills, fills. And it's just crazy to see like I didn't do anything. And this this bank account just keeps going up and up every month, up and up and up. And like you're just like I didn't do anything. And, and that is growing. And it just psh- Blows blows my mind, dude. I mean, you got to give yourself some credit. You didn't you didn't do nothing. You yeah. earned it. Not only <laughs> did you build your brand, but you also deposited so many much goodwill into your friends, your brother, your family, because you were just helping them and coaching them through the mistakes that you have experienced yourself with your first investment, and you just kept right. helping them. You're like, okay you built that confidence over time. Like, Oh, I do know what I'm talking about. Right. right? And I think that is such yeah. a important takeaway that I hope the audience takes away from this today. Is like what Fernando has done is like over course of time, even though there might be problems that will come up, he has referenced back like, Hey, these are all the hard things that I have done in life. And for our audience out there, just start counting backwards. Like, 
of all the hard things that you have done. And that will infinitely prepare you so much better when yeah. you're getting ready to take the leap yourself to leave that W2 job. So you can go back like, oh, you know what? I've done some hard projects at work or I've done X and X. Like I used to be an EMT and I had to tell myself like, hey, I've walked into situations where someone's dying. Is someone dying in this one? No, just a flooded basement. I can solve that problem. Right. I think these are the things that you have to work on your own mindset to get yourself prepared to solve those problems. And I think that's why people are investing with you, not only your brand, but the history and your track record of what you have done, Fernando. That's yeah, thanks, cool. man. And so, yeah, so that was the second property. And uh, about six months. Um, so then I started like sharing this more like, oh, shoot. Okay, the second property is up and running. That's like, that's filled. And right now, like people ask me like, what's the occupancy rate? Like our occupancy is 95% and usually gets like filled up within two weeks. So things are going well. And I started just sharing it with more people. And um, I put it out on social media that I was looking for partners or when I would go to events. And I remember like, this is the power of a personal brand where um, after six months of posting, I think I needed like 30 grand for a project or something. I like sharing this story because it, this is just like things that blew my mind and you, you don't know unless you try. So then I, uh, after six months, I was like, okay, I haven't asked my audience for anything, but I need 30 grand. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to put it out there. And so I like, I told the story and I said like, Hey, I'm looking for a private money lender, 30 grand, 9% annualized. Uh, and this was before interest rates took a big hike. So, um, I, and I waited and like, I got one response. <laughs> I got one response and I was like, sweet. And it was the girl I'd, I'd never met before. And I was like, cool. Like, can you hop on a call? We hopped on a call and I was like, how do you know me? I was like, how do we know each other? You know, thinking maybe we met in college or we met, you know, somewhere. And she was just like, no, I've been following your stuff for six months. I mean, I was like, I've been following you for six months and I want to get into real estate investing. And I figured now's my best time to uh, learn and partner with somebody. And sh and she was like, here, I'll, I'll give you the money. And I was like, what? And then she like wired me the money that weekend. What? Dude, wild. 30, 30 grand. Somebody I've never met in my life that I met like on a Thursday or Friday, wired me the money over the weekend, 30 grand. I was like, what? So that's when, that's when I was like, okay, shoot. Now I can like, now I can possibly partner with people like that. I don't even know or something, you know, like, or people trust, like trust can be built online. Like that concept was, uh, was foreign because usually trust, I thought trust was just built. Like you have to have one-to-one -one conversations and all this stuff. But um, and that's true for sure. At the end of the day, like you still have to be a good person. Um, but just the, the thought that you could have, you could build a relationship one to many, um, through your, through your personal branding on online. So just want to share that. I just want to put that like personal branding is huge. And this is huge. Like, absolutely. This is huge. People need to really pay attention right now and think about this. Fernando, how many followers do you have on Instagram right now? I like 3,900. So 3,900. So this is a perfect example of why I brought Fernando on there. Like why it's so inspirational. You don't need a hundred thousand followers to raise yeah, capital yeah. from people. You don't. Yeah. 
you have to consistently put out good content that helps others. Mm -hmm. And that is how you raise capital. Like when someone knows, likes, and trusts you and thinks like, oh, you're a stand-up guy because of how consistent you've been talking about your journey, people are going to know and like and trust you. This is it. This is a great example. You got to start doing it right right away. And just on that note, when you're just starting, um, I would say that the top two pieces that is going to make people trust you more, vulnerability. Like the more vulnerable you are, which is scary, then like the more people are going to trust you because it's freaking hard to be vulnerable. (laughs) Like that's, it's scary. Like you, I literally get scared sometimes. Like, should I share this? You know, should I like talk about certain things? And I'm like, oh, that's, it's a scary thought, you know, being like vulnerable, like sharing your struggles, sharing your losses. Um, Cause I don't drive a Ferrari, right? I don't drive a Ferrari. I don't have a crazy nice house. Like I'm still in the building phase. And so many people think, I talk to a ton of people. Oh yeah, Fernando, I'm totally going to build a brand after I've already made it. Like I'm re- I'm going to totally build a brand, dude, after I own a Ferrari, after I'm financially independent, like after I am able to, you know, whatever, pay for my parents' Cadillac or something. And yeah, I think starting now while you're struggling, sharing your losses and um, that builds... I think that builds the trust. Absolutely. You And you got to start before you're ready. I think if that's a great takeaway, start before you're ready because I think more people will be able to resonate with you. Like, for example, uh, I listen to other podcasts and I've heard people come on and say, I have $5 indoors. I'm like, whoa, I can't resonate with that. But for the audience out here listening right now, if you're willing to put in the work, people would much more rather resonate with you because you're only one or two steps ahead of everybody. So it seems more achievable. So you are actually inspiring people. And I think if you have found success, just like you have, Fernando, you have an obligation to share what has worked for you, what haven't worked for you, because someone else coming right behind you can learn so much from you, man. You really have the obligation to help them. Absolutely. Love, love, love what you're doing here, man. Yeah. So, so the other two, uh, the other two, just to finish off that, the private money piece, um, I had one, this was crazy too, where, um, I had one partner, we get into contract. We met, I met them at a networking event. We get into contract about to close on the deal. And the week right before we're about to close, we had our, I had wired $5,000 of EMD and they pull out. They give me a call and say, Fernando, we're pulling out. And I was like, no, we're about to close on Friday. And if I pull out right now, I lose my earnest money deposit. I lose $5,000. Dang it. But again, I'm like, okay, I just got to figure it out. So what do I do? I go back to my social media and I'm like, all right, guys, I am in a pickle. And I've got this. I don't actually say, I don't know if I say I'm in a pickle. Um, I forget how I phrased it. But the point is that I just went to my social media created a story, posted it, and um, reached out to a few people that I met online prior that had shown some interest. Uh, and actually, it ended up being the, the girl who lent me the 30000 I went back to her. She was the first person I called. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's partner up. And I was like, heck yes. And so, in, so we still made it to closing. Within five days, I rearranged all the paperwork, adjusted the operating agreement, added it to the LLC, um, and we were able to close by Friday. We got into the property um, that right now she's making like 
or profitable. So we're good. So it was pretty cool. So that was uh that was uh how I raised that capital too. Wow. Um, so everything has problems. Like you're gonna run into problems, right? And so it, at that moment, I could have said, "Dang it, I tried. I had this partner. Sent the five. I'll just lose the five thousand. It was a good try. Like I, I definitely gave it a shot. But you literally had to be like, okay, this happened. It sucks. Because I remember being on the call with them, and my wife was in the car. And they were telling me that they were bailing. And I was like, what about, and I, it didn't matter what I said because they already, they had already made their, made up their mind and I just felt defeated. They were just like, yeah, Fernando, like, sorry, man. And I was just like, dang, like, shoot. I can't force them to do the deal. I was like, all right. And I, we hung up and my, and Amy's in the car. She's driving. She's just like, I'm sorry, babe. And I was like, dang. And then about a minute later, I'm like, all right, what do I do? And then I had to bounce back. There you go. Because it's, it's a, for sure, you, it, I'm not going to say I didn't feel that it sucked because it definitely felt like it sucked. But being able to pick myself up out of that and like turn it into to something, I think, I think that's, that's what we should be doing. Yeah. And I think people resonate more with the stories and the mistakes and challenges you, you have made. Because I want to invest with somebody who has gone through issues and show me that they can solve a problem. Much better than someone telling me, like, oh, I had this investment. Everything went great. Nothing bad happened. I was like, come on. Yeah. Nothing bad happened. Come I don't really <laughs> That's true. Something <laughs> something has to catch you off guard. Um, exactly. Dylan was a good friend. Um, he, Him and I have been friends for, like, over 10 years. So once he saw, like, what I was doing, he's like, hey, I want to diversify. Um, and so that was a pretty cool way to, to collaborate and connect, but ultimately, yeah, it was people that have been following me for a little while or close family and friends. Um, it's a lot of, the other thing I just want to add there is a lot of people are sometimes hesitant because it's a, it's a lot of trust, um, not trust. It's a lot of responsibility, right? Like when you have, when I have my best friend of 10 plus years that wants to partner up with me now, I feel like, dang, I don't want to lose this guy's money. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to have a bad scenario happen. Um, I became a lot more fearful, right? I became like, I had to battle a lot of that stuff. And, and so, and things went wrong, you know, we ended up, I told them, this is, this is how you learn where here's something that I can share. I thought to get people to invest with me, I needed to give them the best possible deal and give them the best possible scenario. And the least amount of capital that they would need to come to the table with, because this is, I'm just learning. Right. And so I was like, no, 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 you're only going to need this much money. This is your returns. It's going to be amazing. Um, and I was like nervous the whole time. Cause like, I didn't allow myself any breathing room. I was like super, super tight. And then like the, you know, stuff happens. We start moving along and like doing the deal. And it's like, gosh, this just went up by five grand. Oh no, another five grand. Dang it. That's going to mess up our returns. Oh no, we, we launched the property and now we had like this literally, this literally all happened. We launched the property and um, the, uh, the roof needed a repair and there's a, a rat problem in the house because the rats are going through these holes. I would have never, it, that never, that didn't happen to my other properties, right? Like this didn't happen to my other properties. Um, we had to fix the fence. We had to fix the roof. We had a rat problem. We had a pest problem. This all happened on my best friend's house that I'm partnering with him on. And I'm just, I feel terrible. Every conversation I have with him is a bad news conversation. 
Um, even to this day, it's August and we haven't turned a profit yet. We're, we're super close to profit, but it's been like very tough conversations that I've had to have, like scary conversations. I don't feel good. Um, but so this is the, the learning lesson, right? It was my fault from the beginning for not giving myself breathing room, right? Like this and, and it's all learning. So the, the point of all this is like, I'm not a, I don't consider myself a failure. Uh, luckily my friend, we have a really good relationship, so he's not upset or anything, but like, this is all part of learning. Like I'm in, I'm in the thick of it. Like I'm in this, the parts that like I'm learning, struggling. Um, so this is going to happen. Like, it's not perfect sunshine and rainbows. I don't know. Do you want to speak to that at all, Kent? Absolutely. My first rehab, I went double my budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was also with my best friend. Um, and how'd you feel? Think, and how'd you feel having to like go back oh, and like you found all this stuff out? Awful right. every time. But right. that's what it's a learning experience. I still thank him to every day. I still thank him every day for signing on that dotted line with me because I can I can never repay him for giving me that confidence of investing with me. Right. Um, granted, we made $350,000 at the end of the day and we buried it, we pulled back out a quarter million dollars. Uh, but during and amidst of it, it's super scary because you're right. like, Oh man, what did I get myself into? Yes, just on that, I need to share that as of right now, us talking in the last five months, um, same thing as you, we bird it. So in the property, there's about, I want to say, uh, forty to fifty thousand dollars of built-in equity already. So we're talking about like, oh, it's not cash flowing you know, a thousand or 2000 or like right now we're probably negative 2000 bucks. Right. So for sure, we're going to hit profit the next month or the next month. Um, but I have to remind him, like at the end of the day, like we just made you $50,000 richer. Right. Like, and so we're still winning. And, um, and that's the, that's the beautiful part too about real estate is that there's more than one way to make money in real estate and uh, appreciation is one principal pay down another right somebody's paying down our mortgage we got cash flow once we start cash flowing and then tax depreciation so we don't pay we don't pay taxes on a lot of the the gains that we're making the profit so that's what i remind don't forget but the best benefit is you having that story to tell yes and so you can raise more exactly Um, that's the best lesson learned um like we got some live audience asking you like, Hey, do you lend on deals right now? And I know you started a, you're a mortgage loan officer now. So yeah. do you lend on deals now? Like how do people reach out to you? I know we've got some more questions, but I want to make sure I get the live audience out there too. Yeah. 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 So, um, do I lend on deals? Not personally. Um, I think if anything, I am scaling my own portfolio. So I have my business being a loan officer. So the goal is just like build up my own cash reserve and then just buy more pad splits myself. I actually haven't even, um, I, I intentionally right now stopped um, taking partners because I need to focus on my business. My business, anybody who's listening, right? Like your business is your cash cow. Like no passive, it can be very hard for a passive investment to make more money than your active business if you're a business owner. And so then, so I'm just giving my attention into the business side of things. Once that that's built up and I've delegated some of it, then I can take the capital, bring that back into investing. Yeah. I love that philosophy because I think sometimes we all want to quit our jobs really quick, really fast. But if you just view your coworkers out there as potential private money partners, 
That's a good one. Then yeah. you should absolutely stay in your job, talk about what you're doing, and now all of a sudden you have an amazing leverage lever that you can pull all the time yeah. from just your colleagues that are sitting around you and watching you. Because guess what? Everybody else also wants to leave their job and have more time and freedom <laughs> to play with their kids. You don't it's think so anybody funny. else wants that? <laughs> I know everybody I talk to, every I talk to, we all want the same thing, and it's just like, how do we, how do you do it? How are we going to do it? And who's willing to go through? the struggle or the work or the time commitment to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if you're willing to be that guy, just like Fernando was, you can be the first in your, you know, friends, family group, or even in your workplace to be the ones that's getting all the scrapes and bruises. But Hey, at the end of the day, you're the one that took the machete. You chopped down the path and said, Hey, look, this is beautiful path. Now you can just walk down and just, I've already gone through some hard lessons for you and now yeah. people are going to be much more willing to invest with you so there's so many ways to grow and scale and um maybe let's talk a little bit about some more lessons learned about investing out of state so yeah that's what uh lots of lots of uh tenants and under one roof so sometimes people were like oh what did they get in arguments blah 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 so let's yeah. maybe take it in the first piece like one how did you get involved with screening any of your tenants, any sort of rules or uh, criteria yeah. that you had in place when screening? So when Passplit first launched, uh, Passplit does all the screening. Passplit does the background checks. They do the screening. They place everybody into the room. And when they first launched, we didn't have a choice but to accept the people. Um, so recently, actually just in this past year, they allow us to look at look at a little bit of their background check, like if they have evictions, if they have any lates, if they have any issues, like things like that. So we actually get to approve or reject somebody that moves in. So just to put it there, I only own pad splits. So I don't own um, I don't own any regular rentals. So for me, it's always been through pad split. My camera's messing up there. I don't know if that's if <laughs> Um, so that's, that's, that answers that one. Go ahead. Shoot the next one. Yeah. So you now get a little bit more involved with screening your tenants. How about choosing your property manager? Because I think you, you mentioned you had to move on from a property manager. Tell us right. what was going on there. What were the problems you were facing and what made you finally decide to transition from, to another property manager? So it was the systems that they weren't set up to manage a multi-room kind of house property. They were set up to manage long-term rentals, which are very like easy. Usually long-term rentals are, are pretty easy to manage. Uh, if you have good tenants, I was talking to a lady and she has a long-term rental and she's like, yeah, maybe they contacted me like four times in the year for little things. And that's how, that's how easy, you know, usually it should be with, pad split you know you've got eight nine people in the same house like you said you're gonna have tickets that come up like needs uh that that the different nine people have and somebody needs to be able to respond to them so we we fired our first one because in the first three months they just like they weren't responsive they weren't responsive to tenants they weren't responsive to us they just weren't set up for that much uh like hand holding and communication that the platform needed so we found another, and I think you're going to bring them on your podcast in a few weeks. We found another property manager and they were, they started up, they started because of Pat Split. Um, I think, you know, I watched their podcast too, but I think they started, you know, in that same time frame, and they built their systems so that they could manage a Pat Split. And so for me, 
that I just went over to them and they've, they've been awesome ever since. I recommend everybody to them. How did you choose them as your property manager? Did you have questions? Were you like, Hey, this is all the things that's happening right now. Can you handle it? Uh, just curious, like yeah. how you picked them. I, I actually, cause remember how I have the experience first. So I had the experience <laughs> first and then, um, what, what happened? I just started asking other people and when I, what, because we switched pretty quickly. We, you just start asking other people like, Hey, who, who are using, who are using, who are using the digital, right? And people are like, Oh, like I used, I used them. Like they used the one that I was using. They were afraid to switch. And I'm like, I just started, I'm not afraid to switch. So like I'll switch. And I found other people that were like, we're using, you know, Mel and Matea. And I was like, I'm switching over to them. So I, boom, I switched over to them and it's just been, it's been awesome ever since. So really I, I had to, um, at the time, remember I'm still a beginner investor. And so it's not like I could ask all these questions and I didn't have all, I didn't have that. I needed to trust other people who have been there before me, just like you're saying, right? Like there's other people that have been there before me. I need to, I can trust them. Let me ask. And that's how I landed on them. Yeah, guys, it's not that complicated. You can just ask. That's <laughs> yeah, true. You, you seriously just, just here, like you can know the contractor I work with that has done over 10 deals for us, the property manager who manages, I don't know, 50 plus pad splits. Like there's already the team. There's already the team that can support people. Yeah. So that's amazing. I love how one, you recognize there was a problem and you quickly kind of moved on because you you knew existing property management company was not keeping up the issues were kind of bursting as it seems yeah and boom you you made the switch just like any good problem solver would do or any even normal common sense business owner so if you guys out there believe you have some common sense and know how to spot problems it's not that complicated as long as you're willing to put yourself out there and ask the right questions and just bring value to people don't just keep asking 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 like Try to find your way. Like, hey, if you find a good flooring guy, maybe offer like, hey, I got a really flooring guy I met today. Uh, I'm really struggling with finding a property manager. Does anybody have any recommendations? It's almost right. as simple as that. Uh, and, so that you can and, provide some value. Yeah. And the other thing just to say there, um, the practice or the experience of making decisions, you know, I think that's a big one. Uh, I think maybe I was a little, I was privileged in like growing because that's so much of personal like background like that you feel confident to make decisions on your own independent of how you think it'll turn out. Like that's a skill set and that's, or that's a practice. It's a skill set that, that can be practiced. Um, so how do you typically suggest people practice making decisions without you may, you have to make decisions without necessarily always consulting others, or maybe you do consult others, but you still have to make the decision, you know, like how do you get, how do you people become decision makers to take the action? Oh, I love this question. Um, here's a really good scenario. I love this example because yeah, I don't know if the audience out there, whenever you talk with your significant other, like, what do you want for dinner? It's like the worst question in the world. Oh, what do you want? What do you want? Oh, I don't know. I don't care. What do you want? Good, good. Best advice I've ever gotten. If one person suggests one thing and one person suggests the other thing, just get both. I was like, oh, because then you start wrapping yourself of both of you guys making affirmative decisions. Right. And once you start becoming more decisive with the everyday items, like 
picking where to go dinner, uh, picking where to go take a walk, picking which mall you want to go to. It doesn't matter what it is. If you just keep repping it, it's almost a muscle. And then all of a sudden you start getting more decisive about things. And yeah. this starts with not just real estate. It starts with just your personal life. Yeah, dude, that's huge. And because it becomes a habit in your personal life, you'll naturally take it over to anywhere else you want to go. Yeah. Exactly. And sometimes you just talk it out loud with with others. Like, hey, and I think people get so frustrated with problems because they don't know what their options are. But if you were just to take a couple of minutes and say, okay, this this problem is terrible. Okay, what's my first option? I can call a property manager. What's the second option? I can call a plumber. What's the third option? I can go pay some, I can go post on a Facebook group in a local RIA or a local investor community. That's it. So there's three options for solving a problem right away. You can actually do all three. And then hopefully you get back responses back from everybody. And now you say like, well, what am I going to do? Here's a really good right. example. I uh, Two weeks ago, because it's 120 degrees in Scottsdale for like three weeks, I had guests complain that my pool was too hot. Well, I was like, yeah, well, it's been 120 degrees for like two, three weeks. What did I do though? I was like, well, first option is like, let me go try some ice. That didn't really work. I was like, let me try shipping $70 worth of ice in there. Then <laughs> I try to talk to my pool manager and he said, there's not much I can do. Then I came up with my own idea. I was like, well, what if I drain the pool halfway and then refill it with fresh hose water? Mm. Like, oh, that might work. So that's how I solved it. And it uh, worked? I just, yeah, it worked. The guests were happy. Now, oh, I probably cool. wasted a lot of water, but that's okay. Right. It's a hospitality business. But that's a level of decision making that you have to go through. It's like, hey, I know this might not solve the problem, but let's do something first and just right. being decisive. Like, okay, let me just text them right now. Get $70 worth of ice over there through five like, bags. Like, in how there. much, how much are they paying for the night? Like almost a thousand dollars. So you're thinking like, dude, I, I don't, I can't afford a bad review on this type of state. Like the opportunity cost of not paying for that ice. That's how you made that. That's how you were able to be so decisive. Cause you looked at what, what's possible to lose or like what the downside is. So 70 yeah. bucks is, is nothing. I'm right. trying to preserve a perfect five-star review rating. And that gives you right. way more pricing power than worrying about nickel and diming your guests like $70 worth of ice, $100 there, 200 bucks there. Did you get a five-star review, review after that? I did get a five-star review after that. And I yeah. feel like if they if they really felt you going to problem solve for them, like I feel like that could earn you even more of a, of a strong raving review. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so enough about my story. I want to make sure I get any more pro tips out of you for when it comes to uh, investing in real estate or pad splits, any sort of other advice or gems that you can share based on what you have learned so far. So, man, I, I just want to like reiterate that um, it's like the problems will happen. And so like get it. I, I want them to I want to share because the, the tip is the tip is. How, the problems will happen, but how do you respond in the midst of the problems? And so, um, you know, we've had to deal with evictions. We've had to deal with people not le- wanting to leave. And so what did I do? I could either let my property manager handle the eviction process, which is totally normal, or I can pick up the phone and call the tenant and figure out what's the problem. And that's what I do. So I've only had to ever go through one full eviction um, but the majority of the time, somebody's not paying, I'm picking up the phone and I'm calling them like, Hey, what's going on? Like, what's the situation you're in? 
can you pay a hundred dollars by Friday that shows good faith? And then we'll go ahead and, and extend you out until your payday. Right. I, like I have these conversations all the time. Hey, I got let go and um, I'm starting a new job next month. And so whatever, I'm like, okay, send me your offer letter, send me your offer letter, send me your email approval letter. Right. I'm verifying. I'm not telling them that I don't trust them. I'm just verifying. And so it's like, it's legit, legit, legit. Okay, cool. Can you make a good faith deposit, you know, 100 bucks a week and then we'll catch you up later like that's it so like just taking things into your own hand um that may not be normal according to a typical process but as the business owner it's like i'm trying to help them solve a problem too this is my problem but if i can help them solve their problem then like that's better um sometimes it's like this person was late all the time and i was like this is a pattern why is this person always paying late and then i find out like they get paid the Friday after instead of the Monday that they're supposed to pay. That's why they're always late. So I'm like, would it help you if I changed your pay date to Friday? Yes. Okay. That's it. And I just saved them a lot of money. And cause I didn't have to, like I get paid more money when they, when they're late. But in my head, I was like, I, I, what if I can help this person? Like, why are they always late? So just looking at, yeah, I don't know. Looking at ways. I mean, to... you're putting the person first. And I think for all the people out there that are listening, like just put the person first. And then usually good things happen out of that. But right. let's let's actually go through the, this eviction thing because that's like a big yeah. fear of investors. So you've had some people that were late, but you just talked us through how you solved that problem. What happened with your right. eviction? How did you go through? Like, what was that process? Like, what was happening? How did you handle it? How long did it take to get the tenant out of there? Yeah. So the funny part is that the eviction happened also within the first few months of us owning the Pat split. <laughs> so it was like, gosh, because remember, this was COVID. This was like 2020 was COVID had just hit. Um, and well, we were nervous because and this is also why we didn't buy in 2020, because we're like, holy shit, this is like COVID. Are people is everybody going to lose their job? Are we about to lose our property? The housing market going to crash? Like this is all the fear that was going around. And so that's another reason why we didn't didn't buy, right? Or 2021, sorry. It was uh, end of 2020 going into 2021 when COVID happened. Um, and so then this person stops paying. And I was nervous um, because I was like, all right, shoot, what do we do? And I talked to my property manager who I had already fired the other one. So I talked to my new property manager. It's like, what's the process for this? And they're like, yeah, so this is what's going to happen. And luckily, my property manager is awesome. They handled everything. They hired an eviction company. They they try to reach out to the person first, try to trade, you know, uh, explain, hey, what's going on. And then the eviction company tries to have the conversation with them as well. They're not they're not open and willing to negotiate. Uh, we can't we can't break through their door and kick them out, um, right? Because I mean, maybe we, you could, if you're that type of landlord and takes things into your own hands. But at the time we're trying to follow like the legal process. And it, this actually doesn't have a good ending. Um, I mean, it is a good ending, but it's also not. So it was probably like three or four months, right? Person's not paying. That's uh, so if you can imagine the person's not paying. And so we're losing 800 bucks a month, let's say. Um, so in four months, that's 2000 bucks or something, right? And he's still using the water. He's still using the Wi-Fi and all this stuff, which, oh, pro tip. If I can find out, if I find out who whose room is tied to who's to their Wi-Fi router, 
Now I can disconnect them. Boom. <laughs> so if it ever happens, that's a tip. That's a pro tip. If you ever see somebody's giving you trouble and like whatever bothering you, like just you can find out. Uh, I was literally calling all the other people. Hey, which one's your phone here? Which one's your phone here? Right. And connected to the Wi-Fi. And then I could like disconnect every other one. So I've done that too. Just people oh that's a good way to get rid of someone (laughs) if they don't have wi-fi access they don't have wi-fi access (laughs) smart okay that's smart so very good pro tip so going back um yeah so the the guy didn't want to leave um it's taking about four three or four months we're we're in court now and um at court they agreed i i was not involved right they agreed that he would leave and he would only have to pay three hundred dollars and then they wouldn't put the eviction on his record. So why do I think that was a bad deal? Because he's going to go do that to somebody else. And that other person's not going to be able to see the eviction. So what I have taken, like I respect my property manager for, for taking that deal and my, um and the eviction company, you know, like I can understand why they made that deal. Cause he did leave. Um, would I have been okay dealing with the longer eviction and losing more money so that that could get on his record? Yeah, I think I would have been okay with that. You know, I would have taken, you know, I'm, I'm okay falling on the sword. If I know that's going to help other people out. So that's the only reason. So it was a good ending, but also not a good ending. Got it. But I, I can't thank you enough for sharing that story because now people were like, okay, yeah, an eviction is terrible. Terrible thing to happen. But this is what happened. This is how much it cost Fernando. Four months of rent, some eviction lawyer fees. Do you know how much you probably yeah. spent on like fees and stuff like that? I don't. Range? I don't, to be honest. So th- and this is the other thing, right? Like my first two years, I, I wasn't doing QuickBooks. I didn't have any transaction, like wasn't managing all that stuff, right? Like I just looked at like how much money is leaving and how much money is coming back in. Like that's it. And I was like, I'm making money. We're good. What, what's my what's my bank account say at the end of the yeah. month? Right. And like, that's all I cared about. And that's okay to get to get things started, guys. Like you don't have to <laughs> overwhelm yourself. Like I got to figure out every single detail because you can learn this along you go. And I think sometimes people do get paralyzed about not starting. Look, Fernando's still a successful investor and he didn't learn QuickBooks on day one. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, so if anything, hopefully that inspires more people to take action. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Hey, any other pro tips you can think of? Um, when it comes to pad split, um, I mean, when you, I, I do have a YouTube video that tells you exactly how I analyze the pad split. So if you're interested in like specifically, how do you analyze the pad split? Like I have videos on that. How do you pick a market? I have videos on how to pick a market, right? Uh, pad split has a tool. And, um, when you sign up for that tool, you're able to see occupancy rates and average weekly rates for, uh, it's just like an air DNA. Imagine an air DNA for pad split so that should help you pick your zip codes and pick your market uh pad split reps are super helpful um i talked to every okay i'll tell you this my strategy for when i'm when i'm putting an offer on a property i run my numbers and actually on instagram if you dm me the word pad split then i'll send you my pad split uh, analyzer so anybody who dms me the word pad split i'm happy to send you guys my deal analyzer First thing I do is run every deal through the deal analyzer. Um, then I send pictures and a video uh, that I get from the deal that my agent usually gets me or the wholesaler sends to my contractor. Contractor gives me an estimate. That's going to be about $45,000 of work or whatever, $85,000 of work, plug it into my deal calculator, analyze it. It looks good. I put an offer. This is the same day. I move super quick. 
So I get the property, I analyze it, send it to my contractor, get a rehab estimate, I put an offer in, boom, let's go. I'm doing that. Offer gets accepted. What's the next thing that I do? So now I'm telling my agent, my agent already knows probably, right? Scheduling the contractor and an inspector to go and walk the property. And so now they walk the property, uh, inspector inspects obviously for inspections, contractors looking for all the rehab work that they need to do for pad split. I get back a bid from the contractor of the full rehab amount. I get back my inspection list. I'm now connecting the dots. I make sure that what the inspector called out is being addressed by my contractor as well. And if it's not, then I'm like, hey, can you add this to your bid? Right. So, okay, now I got that. Now maybe this is day two, day three of being in escrow. Um, I've already got my pre-approval. I already know the lender I'm working with or whatever. Um, I'm a lender now. So like I help people in all, on different lending scenarios. And then um, you, we always in Georgia, there's always a seven day like due diligence period, which is, which is kind of nice. So if it's a conventional purchase MLS, you know, you, you get 30 days anyways, or 20 to 30 days. If it's a hard money wholesaler purchase, you know, you're typically closing in 14 days. So it's a different scenario there. Um, but that's that's pretty much my process of how I how I do things. And so I, I literally can put offers same day in that process. Nobody walks the property until we have a deal under contract. But, but I'm putting offers, you know, all the time. Nice. I love it. Thanks for walking through that entire process. I think for folks that aren't familiar or new to this, you just copy what Fernando just did. It's not that yeah. hard. Um, yeah. Replay that section. And then just walk yourself through it again. Um, so last question. I like to ask every guest this, and I love to hear your point of view on this. Is, um, yeah. Why do you think affordable housing is so hard to solve for? Yeah. Uh, just one, one, two more things that I wanted to point out on the last one before Got I ask you. Before first. Um, when I'm in escrow, Tyler's walked the property. Um, I am actually even before that. So in that same day, yeah, this actually happens even before Tyler walks the property. In the day that we put the offer in, if I know offer is accepted, then I'm going to call Mel and Matea. And, and sometimes I may do this before, but and I'm going to or text them and I'll say, hey, guys, like, do you have any properties in this area? What do you think about the area? So my property manager is going to help me determine if they have other patchwoods in that area. How good is that neighborhood? Like they give me a lot of visibility there. And um, sometimes they'll be like, Fernando, let me drive through there. Let me go check it out. And so they, they're able to send a team. You know, they're driving all the time to their properties. They scope it out, give me some feedback. That's super helpful. Then I connect with Pat Split themselves and Blake. Blake's amazing. Shout out to Blake. And sometimes, like, she'll hop on a Zoom call with me. Actually, a lot of the times. I mean, I don't know if right now, depends how busy they are. But we'll, like, be like, okay, hey. I'm planning to, this is my spreadsheet. I'm planning to price things out like this, this, and this. Um, this is the rehab estimate from Tyler. I got my checkbox from Mel Matea. Like I need final staff of approval by pad split. What do you think? And she's like, yeah, it looks good to me. So boom, now I got my agent says it's good. My contractor says it's good. My property manager says it's good. Pad split says it's good. And my spreadsheet says it's good. I'm like, this is a good deal. Let's roll with it. So yeah. Okay. To answer your question. So now I can yeah, go, go for it. So uh, repeat the question one more time and then and then I'll pick it up. Yeah. Why do you think affordable housing is so hard to solve for? Oh, man. Affordable housing is so hard to solve for. Why is it hard? It's hard because businesses, right? Like I, I own a business myself 
and a business wants to get more profitable, but we want to keep our expenses constant. And so I think it's so hard to solve for because capitalism and businesses will grow even like as GDP grows and businesses grow that like our profits will grow, but we want to keep our expenses maintainable. And so therefore, right, like the people that have businesses and make money are going to be buying assets and the assets are going to appreciate and everything's going to inflate and the cost of goods will go up. Right. But everybody who's not a business owner who does, who hasn't figured out how to get out their employees and their role as employees is to, keep their keep their pay constant so the growth of somebody's salary is never going to exceed the growth of assets because investors and business owners buy assets and employees are just paid and they're they're unfortunately like they're an expense to a business and so you have the disproportionate or the the misaligned incentives businesses are they want to grow but they want to keep their expenses low then you're going to get everything that the business owners, all the profit that they make, they have to put it somewhere. So they go and buy real estate. And because real estate gets more expensive, they start increasing the rent because they business owners want to increase their cash flow. They want to increase their profit. So they increase the rents. But then now the rents are growing at a faster pace than the income of the people that are renting. And that's why it's so hard to solve because there's misaligned incentives. Misaligned incentives. That's a great, great way to kind of paraphrase all the different forces that affect this incredibly difficult problem. So, yeah. hey, man, I I can't thank you enough for coming onto this podcast. It's late on a Friday afternoon, and uh, I think you have tr- provided a tremendous amount of value by sharing your experience with all the audience today, even some of the live audience members getting a little bit interactive with us. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your participation. Yeah. And this has been fun. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, seriously, I grew up in affordable housing. So uh, I told you this story before, but there were nine of us in a two-bedroom apartment. And I think I'm glad you're investing in the space and providing affordable single-room rentals to folks because I think we need just everybody participating to solve this problem. So thank you so much, man, for coming onto the show. I can't like share my appreciation enough for you, man. So yeah, thanks for having me on. That was awesome. Get yeah, how can people get in touch with you, man, and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, so on both YouTube and Instagram, it's really simple. It's Fernando Corona. So just it's I T S my my first and last name, Fernando Corona, and both on Instagram and YouTube, and we can connect there. That's pretty it. Pretty much it. All right, I love it. Hey, this has been an amazing conversation. Hopefully, I can bring you back on at some point in time. We'll just talk about how much growth you're experiencing, maybe in like a six to 12 months or something like that. But hey, yeah, thank you so much, man. Totally. All right, later, guys. All right, I appreciate it. And we're out.